to the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. Well, today I'm going to talk a little bit about my summer vacation. As you know, I had the big 6-0 birthday and Hattie Delaney Minor, a registered dietitian, and my grandson came in to visit, and we did the, the uh, great migration from Houston to Florida and Florida to Houston with Addie Caleb, an 80-plus pound, I'm going to say really close to 90, German Shepherd, and myself. So we had two hotel nights, one going and one coming, two full days in the car coming and going. Um, one airport, or two airport travels for me, so I flew to Houston, drove with them, drove with them, flew back to Florida. And I just wanted to talk about, you know, when you have your priorities straight, you can still travel and do what you're, you're doing. So even though we had somewhat of a, you know, a change in environments, Addie and Haas and Caleb came to my house and then I went to their house, we managed to get our runs in every day, except our travel days. We did not run. Interestingly, walking a dog and getting hotel, you know, carting stuff for a baby up and down, I still managed to get about 8,000 steps to 10,000 steps during that car ride um, each day. And of course, every evening we would have a dance party with Caleb, so that accounted for some exercise. So, um, you know, you're able to keep your movement in. A couple funny things happened. Um, I have a new neighbor that has a pig, and so we went to see the pig and take Caleb. It's like having your own petting zoo and on your same street. And interestingly, uh, the people that have the pig aren't vegan. And, you know, I mean, I guess you can have a dog and not be vegan. Um, I've, there's a, a book out there, um, and I can't remember the author's name, but she is from New England and talks about why people eat um, cows, wear pigs, and love dogs, something along those lines. And, of course, you know, if somebody said they were serving golden retriever for dinner, everybody would be grossed out, but yet you can have pork and nobody is grossed out because we we consider pork a food uh, in some circumstances, certainly not the plant-based community. But uh, again, you know, it's a little hard when you're looking at the pig, I would think, to, to eat a pig. But nevertheless, um, that was an interesting turn of events. And then another neighbor assumes that when... I go out of town that my mother wants to go off the plant-based wagon, that I'm kind of holding her hostage per se, um, that she is eating, you know, made to eat plant-based against her will. And the, I, the you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before, um, there was a bit of a coup when my family went plant-based. My mom had lymphoma, my dad had Alzheimer's. I started to do the cooking for the family and I eat plant-based, so therefore they became plant-based. But my mother quickly realized the benefits of plant-based nutrition and has helped, you know, helps out a nutrition class. And so she understands the role of it as being, you know, very uh, beneficial in treating disease and reversing disease. And, you know, I, we talk frequently about um, the fact that my mom's 89 and all her siblings, you know, died very young in their 60s. Um, with heart disease and diabetes, and of course her mother and father died in their 40s and 50s, and she's still going strong doing yoga and playing golf. So not only does her movement, but 
also what she eats. And so she understands that. Um, I, I got to tell you that, you know, we, you don't want to make people feel bad when you're talking about what you eat. And certainly if you eat very differently from your neighbors, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, certainly, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in regards to travel. So we kind of make light of what we do sometimes, especially when you know somebody's doesn't have any interest in changing their diet. I don't want anybody to feel bad about their life decisions. And, you know, so we, we kind of make light uh, with, with some neighbors. And I, and I think that, you know, again, the joke about, you know, my mother and being forced to eat plant-based in the coup, she kind of thought might be a good idea to kind of, you know, give her a way out when, when I was traveling. So they offered to bring eggplant parmesan and, and you know, again, politely thank you for thinking of us, but politely declined. Um, if, you've, if you are plant-based and, you know, even if you wanted to have um, a little bit of eggplant parmesan once in a while, if you've ever given up dairy, it's probably the first thing that you're going to lose your ability to, to, to metabolize lactose. And um, you quickly become lactose intolerant to the point where it would really tear you up if you had dairy after not having dairy for a while. So even if you wanted it, uh, it you would know, um, being plant-based, that that's something, someplace you really don't want to go. But I thought that was, you know, it was, it was kind of kind of interesting. We took our own food on the road, especially for uh, the first day. So big bowl of fruit. Um, we made um, a quinoa salad that we'd made in class uh, to take with us the first direction. I'm not even sure which way it was. Um, but it had a lemon dressing on it and some kale um, and, you know, a lot of vegetables. And again, then... Uh, Eddie made uh, actually some snacks, so she made a monkey cookies, which are three or four ingredient oatmeal type cookies. So we had those, um, and that was that was our travel food, you know, until we got to the hotel, and then we were able to find some Thai food and, and uh, had a wonderful Thai dinner from uh, just stumbled into a very authentic Thai restaurant close to the airport in Pensacola, Florida. Who would have guessed? But. You know, things happen, and, and again, I've said on the podcast before, Thai food is a place that we usually go. We can find it without onion uh, because of Michael's onion allergy, but it's just usually a pretty healthy food, and, and they usually make it to order so that you don't have to worry about something sitting in Greece for a long time. On the way back, um, we did a pasta salad and the fruit to travel with, so that worked out well, and then we got Mexican food. Michael wasn't with us, so we could have onion. Uh, so, so that was our, uh, you know, our, our party. So we were able to get greens, beans, and rice, uh, and and make that work. I've also found a, a um, restaurant, and again, places where you wouldn't necessarily think to look, but I stumbled upon a restaurant that's barbecue and sushi by the airport. And you would think this is not going to be good, but it's it's kind of a hibachi um, sushi type restaurant. And I don't really know what kind of barbecue they have because that's something that wouldn't interest me. But um, able to get sushi there and steamed vegetables with white rice and even dumplings that they steam for us. And I've, I've gone there on the way to the airport or way back from the airport so much that they actually recognize me. So the vegetables are truly just steamed in water and, and delicious. So you can add a little chili pepper sauce and, and that all works out really good. But the things that we saw, you know, when we were traveling um, is very, you know, 
disturbing as far as the state of our country uh, and food choices. We stopped at both Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts for coffee, and we got coffee. You can get just coffee uh, at both of those places. But I will tell you that the majority of people in the line, matter of fact, everybody else in the line, went for the venti syrup field filled um, cream covered giant drinks that even though the calories are posted well into the five six seven hundreds I, I didn't even look um, along with cakes and you know were there I saw people getting their breakfast at Starbucks um, you know that had been shopping at a target and just stopping there to get their you know an egg sandwich or whatever their breakfast sandwich sandwiches are and again the, the big coffee drinks uh, and typically these people are young and overweight. The Dunkin' Donuts, uh, everybody in the restaurant was morbidly obese, drinking the giant sweet drinks. And that was, you know, a, a sad state of affairs. In the airport, cheese, pizza, burgers. The Houston airport doesn't have much to offer, but it does have a taco salad that you can just get the greens with a little corn and and beans and some salsa worked out fine banana um in the you know so that that all works out fine i always say you can always get oatmeal at um you know uh in in the airport somewhere if it's it's morning time we went to a grocery store uh for one of our lunches and got fresh sushi and stocked up on more fruit that that worked out fine as well of course, most of the time when you go into the restaurants or the grocery stores at dinner time, you see people with um, cereal soda, frozen entrees, rotisserie chickens. Um, there's never a crowd in the produce section, unfortunately. Chick-fil-A, I've talked on the podcast before, never ceases to amaze me. There's always four cars wide going around their drive-through uh, at any time you happen to see one. Um, I saw the sign for my Cracker Barrel uh, cheesecake pancakes that I talked about on the last podcast all through Interstate 10 from Florida to, heck, Texas. So that must be a thing now. Um, again, a heart attack waiting to happen. The other thing that's interesting, you know, when we have a dog, a dog-friendly hotel, take the dog out for a walk. There are other people with dogs in the hotel, but I didn't see anybody else walking their dog. Um, and again, when you're walking an 80-plus pound dog, it's not, you know, not all that unhappy not seeing other people walking. But it does seem surprising to me that, again, uh, there's always free breakfast at the hotels and people are in there eating the waffles that smell like... Um, the spray spray uh, oils that, that you put on the waffle machine, you know, so they just smell chemically laden and the breakfast sandwiches and the, the, the biscuits and, you know, eggs, cheesy eggs and things like that. But nobody's out walking in the morning. So people have time to go and sit and eat the hotel breakfasts, but they don't have time to go out and take a little bit of walk before they travel. And I gotta tell you, it feels good to get out and move around a, a little bit before you walk. It feels good when you're traveling, if you're still traveling this summer, uh, get out, take a walk at a park. Uh, you know, we stumbled into a botanical garden, uh, looked at the flowers, you know, it was a nice little break. 
stopped at a picnic table. I remember when I was a child, we always, you know, before the fast food and restaurant inventions, we always packed a cooler and stopped at a picnic table and had lunch. So it just makes it nice uh, to stop at a rest stop with a picnic table and get your cooler out and have lunch and go on. You feel better. You're not falling asleep when you're driving. It's a, a really good thing. But we did make a mistake. I made a mistake during our uh, food prep for the travels. I went to the grocery store and I got some oats uh, that were in the little round containers that you just put water in. You can eat right out of the bowl thinking that that would be an easy way we wouldn't have to really rely on um, having bowls with us or getting bowls from the hotel just in case. It'd be, you know, a quick way to go. And so I got the Elizabeth, uh, purely Elizabeth brand of oats. I got blueberry and I got apple uh, and cinnamon, thinking I did a good thing. And so we sat down um, in the morning to eat our oats and I looked at the front of my blueberry purely Elizabeth oatmeal, and what did I see? Contains collagen. So, you know, it's like I can't believe I was duped. Uh, I was duped. Who would think that there would be collagen powder in oats? I never would have guessed that any company would have stooped so low as a marketing ploy to add collagen to oats. So that ruined those oats, and of course it was bovine collagen. I had to turn around and look. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, there you could, collagen sources could be bovine, it can be cow, it can be pig, it can actually be marine bo bovine. I'm going to talk a little bit about collagen in a second, but um, that's uh, it was bovine collagen in in my oats, and it was right on the front, so. I should have seen it, but again, I wasn't looking to make, I wasn't, never in, in my wildest dream that I think there would be animal products in oatmeal. Um, but there you have it. So, very disappointed in Purely Elizabeth. So what is collagen? Collagen is a protein. What happens when you eat collagen? Well, it's broken down in your stomach to amino acids. It's the amino acids that make up collagen. And collagen is found in our bones, tendons, endothelial cells, skin, ligaments, also in animals, obviously. And it's made up of basically three amino acids uh, that are um, in various lengths, um, depending on the type of collagen, but basically glycine, protein, uh, and hydroxyproline. They're not essential amino acids. We don't we do, we, we do make them. We, you do not have to eat them. So there's no reason to take in those amino acids or certainly collagen. Collagen is marketed widely for skin health. Um, it has been used, obviously, um, in tissue repair, given injected um, for, you know, um, facial-type rejuvenation things, but also injected into wounds. The it, people that can't make collagen on their own suffer from uh, diseases. One is called osteogenesis imperfecta. Those people tend to have very weak bones, have lots of fractures. It's a very rare um, but significant uh, genetic defect. 
There's also Ehrlos-Danlos syndrome, where there's a deficiency in collagen production, and people have, again, weak tendons and very mobile joints. Uh, it can cause a lot of problems, hypermobility in people, uh, but a lot of people uh, work around it. Um, obviously, severe vitamin C deficiency can result in an abnormal collagen and bone loss. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But there are four types of collagen, um, and type one is the most abundant uh, collagen. In bovine cow collagen, it comes from their cartilage, bones, hide, tendons. Um, marine comes from fish, skeletal muscles type thing. Um, marine collagen has higher type two collagen. Bovine has higher type one and three collagen. In, in humans, type one collagen is basically part of bone, uh, skin, teeth, tendons, ligaments, vasculature. Type two is mainly collagen. Three is muscle and blood vessel. Four, uh, part of the blood vessel epithelium, uh, part of cell walls. And five is hairs, and then um, you know cell surface, cell surfaces. Even the placenta has type a type of collagen. So what happens if you eat bovine or artificial sorts of collagen? Again, your body breaks it down into the amino acids. Your body uses those three amino acids for whatever it needs. It doesn't necessarily put them back together in collagen and send them to where they came from. So if your bovine collagen was from tendons, and typically that's, you know, if you get collagen from an animal source, it's going to be from the rendering of that animal, so spare parts, just like hot dogs. So collagen is another form of a hot dog in some respects. So your body breaks the hot dog down, but you don't make beef lips when you break the hot dog down, so you don't make collagen when you break the collagen down either. Um, but the parts can be used if you need them to, to repair bone and skin. So if your diet is adequate and all the nutrients that you need, your body should be able to make collagen in sufficient forms. But as I'll talk about again a little later, there's more to it in making collagen than just having those specific amino acids. You have to have certain vitamins and minerals that, that help you actually end up with collagen. As our skin ages, we tend to have a decrease in collagen density. We have a decrease in the dermal, the dermis layer thickening. Our, in other words, our skin gets thick, thin, I'm sorry. Um, there's decrease in collagen synthesis as we get older, but taking collagen powders doesn't make us produce more collagen. There are also potential toxicities with especially bovine or animal-based collagens, uh, prion disease, which is a type of virus, but not really, that cannot be destroyed by heat, that can cause spongiform encephalitis, doesn't sound like a good thing, like you'd want to have it. Um, that's a possibility. Other viruses associated with um, either cows or pigs, heavy metal associated with um, both animals and in marine collagen. And there actually have been reported cases of anaphylaxis with collagen injection. So it's not without some risk. Um, and the benefits, you know, I know people say other studies have shown, but most of those studies are industry-sponsored, very few people. 
poor quality. So not a lot of good evidence to say that taking collagen is going to improve uh, skin or bone health. Of all the collagens, probably the marine is probably the safest, but again, not a necessary thing. But certainly it's important for us to make collagen for repairing bone, maintaining good bone health, maintaining good tendon health as well as skin. Everybody always thinks about their skin, but bone tendons also very important. We want to maintain uh, flexibility, not become brittle. The other thing that collagen is associated with is um, digestion and gastroesophageal reflux. And it was noted in patients with COVID that those who had a hiatal hernias or GERD that were on protein pump inhibitors were more likely to get COVID and get COVID worse. And there's some association with good collagen synthesis and decrease in reflux and GERD and hiatal hernia development and mobility. So there are a lot of good reasons to make and produce collagen. Um, we know that collagen, again, in fracture and bone healing, and that's one of the places where injections of collagen has been done in the medical community to try to uh, improve fracture healing. But again, there are factors associated with collagen manufacture. Some of the most important are vitamin C and zinc. So if you are vitamin C deficient, uh, certainly scurvy is associated with poor bone health, but as we get older, again, um, our substrate intake tend to decrease. Perhaps um, vitamin C is used in so many different things as well as zinc. Vitamin E is also a component of collagen synthesis. But, you know, looking at um, specifically bone health, uh, people that uh, have been infused, uh, there's actually been some studies where either uh, high oral doses of vitamin C or infusion of vitamin C has been associated with um, improved bone healing after fracture, certainly zinc supplementation. And, and again, uh, again, vitamin C, not much in the way of side effects. Uh, if you take a whole lot of vitamin C, the worst thing that could happen to you if you, you get some diarrhea. There is um, a cherry called um, Barbados cherry that is high in a substance called Erciola. And Erciola extract, which is this particular Barbados cherry, um, is very, very high in ascorbic acid. So it's one of the most uh, potent or high milligram forms of ascorbic acid in a fruit in this Barbados cherry. So if you have the opportunity to grow in Texas and in the South, you can grow them in Florida. A very good source of vitamin C, which has also been shown to potentiate collagen deposition. Um, translated, if you were going to take vitamin C for healing of bone fractures, you know, the studies have looked from any place from about 350 milligrams all the way up to 14 grams. Remember, with COVID, we try, or any kind of flu-like illness, we try to get people up to 15 to 20 grams a day of vitamin C spread out throughout the day. So high doses of vitamin C can act as a therapeutic for, uh, again, collagen synthesis and, and increased bone healing. So instead of taking collagen, you would be better off, or collagen powders, or even when people start to look at protein powders and things, you'd be better off buying you know, Barbados cherry extract powder 
uh, or Barbados cherry powder versus, you know, some of these other sources because you're giving yourself the ability, you're giving yourself the substrate so that you can actually make collagen yourself. No one's protein deficient. We all get plenty of protein. We don't need to take protein supplements in any form via, you know, whey protein, inshore, or collagen extract. It's usually the substrates that are needed in the reactions that people tend to be short on. It's one of the reasons why people do bone broth, uh, because they think they're getting a whole host of uh, vitamins and collagen. When most studied bone broths, there was less than 5% of the recommended daily allowance of calcium and magnesium. There was a contamination of heavy metals, such as lead uh, and iron. The iron associated with animals is absorbed without... Um, we, we can absorb iron without any kind of protein substrate, whether when you eat vegetable source of iron, you have to have a protein to bind it to absorb it. So it's actually much safer to get your iron from vegetables, Popeye, spinach, uh, because you don't absorb an excessive amounts. When you do bone broths or animal uh, excessive animal blood type products, you can get excessive iron and that is laid into the liver, heart, muscle, and, is, and brain, very toxic. The other thing people don't think about uh, with vaccines in general is that their gelatin and things uh, typically come from bovine sources, which can be a, uh, again, can be contaminated with heavy metals, which may be the reason for some of the anaphylactic reactions with vaccines. Uh, and again, there's a risk of viral transmission and, and prion transmission. So, uh, again, animal sources just aren't that good of uh, sources of collagen for us. So if I circle all the way back to traveling and eating, uh, you know, might've, I might have been better off doing the hotel uh, st straight old oatmeal, um, you know, rather than trying to, you know, make it easy on myself and buy these these boxes. But the take-home message is you have to read all over the place, just not the back of the label. We can't assume that oatmeal is just oatmeal. Um, we can't assume that just because you buy something in a health food store, it's going to be healthy. Um, there's always uh, different ingredients that we don't want uh, in things. Um, some brands will have be all vegan, and then they'll have sources that aren't. Uh, even in processed vegan foods, there's often egg whites, or they make them vegetarian. So uh, you always have to be on the lookout for labels. You never have to be on the lookout for labels when you go into the produce section. So keeping it simple, the you know plain old oats, organic oats would have been the better way to go. Lesson learned for me. The other alternative when you travel is to say, oh, whatever, I'm traveling, I'm on vacation, it's my summer vacation, I'm going to do what I want. And that never usually works out well. Um, one, when you meet up with people and you're on vacation and you're not following the same nutrition plan that you follow at home, you are basically saying this is too hard to follow while traveling. It just doesn't matter that much, which could not be further from the truth. It takes a little thought, but it's very, very doable in just about any environment. And the consequences 
is, you know, uh, if we go back to last week's podcast, the time, you know, how much time do you have to fall off the wagon, your cholesterol go up, your endothelial reactivity go down, your weight to go up, your inflammation to go up, the yo-yo diet of losing weight, traveling, gaining weight, um, it, 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 it's harder and harder to get back on and then people tend to throw in the towel because they then believe it's hopeless. So if you just stay the course when you're traveling, it's no different, uh, and you don't have to worry about you know getting back on the wagon. It never really works out that way, and people don't take you serious. If they know if you can't do it, you can't expect other people to do it. If, you, uh, if people see that you're failing in your health and you, and you can't pull it off, then it's like, well, it just, it's just um, fodder for people to say, see, it doesn't work. I had a brand new success story this week. Somebody uh, became plant-based, was told by their physician that they couldn't do anything about their vascular disease. They came and joined this practice uh, after thinking about it for quite some time. They went plant-based and their cholesterol dropped from 230s to 150s uh, in a very, very short period of time without excessive amount of weight loss. There was some, but not tremendous amount compared to how much their cholesterol dropped. To achieve a cholesterol of 156 with nutrition is so much better than to achieve a cholesterol of 156 through medication. If you take medication, which decreases your liver's ability to synthesize cholesterol, it does nothing to decrease the inflammation that's produced by eating the animal products or saturated fat that drive the cholesterol production. So if you have excessive amounts of inflammation, even a low cholesterol can result in cardiac events. As is shown with most of the studies with statin medications and even the PSK8 inhibitors that drop the cholesterol very low, there's still events. And those are mainly due to inflammation on top of already damaged endothelium from previously high cholesterol and vascular disease. So when you have vascular disease, there's really not a lot of wiggle room to have inflammation in your system. So when you go off the wagon, um, you inge you're ingesting foods that, that again, result in a, a large inflammation, and you start to get the ball rolling again of all these lifestyle diseases so that you try to have to, you know, you try to turn the clock back when you come back home. And most people, you know, I hear the same thing over and over again. Well, I just got back from vacation. I haven't really gotten back into the routine of nutrition, of exercising. Well, how long have you been back? Well, a couple of weeks. Well, when were you going to, you know, finally get back on the wagon? And typically it occurs when you go to the doctors or you get bad news from blood work. Of course, there's the other side of the coin where a doctor reassures the patient that um, your coronary arteries are normal after a, a procedure. But then we get the report and it says there's no significant coronary artery disease, which is a very large difference from we don't need to put a stent in, there's not a 70 to 80% blockage. Typically, those very nar big narrowings may be associated with calcium that aren't so dangerous and they're stable. It's the plaques that are 20 to 30% associated with inflammation that actually result in acute event 
and go from you know 20 to 30% to 100%. So being told that everything is normal or people hear that everything's normal when really there's diffuse, scattered, non, non-critical, not greater, non-critical means not greater than 80, 70, 80% does not mean normal, does not mean there's no need to change what I'm doing, everything's okay, I'm doing the right thing, it's not affecting me. So be very careful what you hear when the doctor tells you everything's okay. It may mean there's nothing I can put a stent in, there's nothing more I can do versus everything is okay. So I think that's a real fine point to, to make sure if you're someone that may be listening to this podcast that had a scare but was told, well, everything's really all right. Um, nothing's really all right. We need to watch our nutrition so that nothing goes awry. If you do have heart disease and you exercise, eating before can be an issue. And I wanted to, and and eating and getting chest pain can be a sign, or eating and getting shorter breath while exercising can be a symptom of significant vascular disease. When you eat, your body has to send blood to your gut to digest food. So blood goes to your esophagus, your stomach, and your intestines. Your heart has to pump blood now two different places if you're going to go exercise. So your muscles and your, the blood vessels to them start to dilate because they need, must, they need blood for you to walk or to run. Your stomach needs blood to digest the food, and all of a sudden your heart has a whole lot more work to do all at once, and people typically can get chest discomfort or shortness of breath. When we have um, patients that have significant vascular disease, we'll have them eat a small amount of beets or kale or spinach, a nitric oxide-producing food that has essentially no calories or very few calories, not much digestion is required. So um, those low-calorie foods result in uh, combining with the amylase uh, digestive enzyme and the gut and the microbes in our tongue and in our gut and produce nitric oxide that dilate blood vessels in our heart so that we get more blood flow to the heart while we're exercising and actually decreases chest discomfort, even will improve the ability of somebody that has chronic lung disease to walk further. So if you're getting back into things after vascular surgery or a stent or you have chronic lung disease or even COVID and you've had a cough and you feel fatigued, a little bit of, you know, green, handful of greens, a handful of beets can go a long way to improve your exercise capacity. And also drive home the message that this is what you're supposed to be eating. On the other hand, if you were to have, you know, oatmeal or something that requires a lot of digestion and slow digestion, that's going to be a lot difficult, uh, more difficult for you to digest and uh, your heart to process uh, and pump blood to your, your, you know, your gut for longer periods of time. So the old adage is don't go swimming, you know, till an hour after you eat is more for the cardiac patient than it is for the kid uh, because we're trying to get blood flow uh, to the, you know, make it easier for the heart to to pump blood to the muscles. I had a great summer vacation travel and a great nutritious um, diet plan while I was traveling. We traveled and did things with four generations. 
from 89-year-old great-grandma to two-year-old Caleb without any difficulties. There were no fights at meals. Everybody enjoyed the food. No one got sick while traveling. No one had chest pain while exercising. No one gained significant amount of weight and felt guilty after traveling. So it's all possible and very doable. It's just keeping your eye on the ball and not blaming others for not being cooperative, uh, taking a little bit more time to see what's available. And look around. You know, what do you want to look like? Do you want to look like the people that are sick and can't get upstairs and can't walk and have to take the elevator everywhere they go? Do you want to be the uh, person that's doing exercise well into their 90s and 100s? Because what they do matters, and you can't study for that. You can't cram for that test. Uh, this is a lifelong nutrition and exercise endeavor to be able to grow up to be somebody that's active and healthy versus somebody that's sick and in the hospital and diseased all the time. So I wish you good luck on your summer vacation and in your travels. Don't give in. Um, it's entirely possible. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our practice, go over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com. We'd love to help you get your nutrition and health in order. Um, you can email me with questions at jamie, J-A-M-I, at drdelaney.com. If you want a quick and, uh, cookbook that you can get your meals on the table in 30 minutes, go over to Amazon, pick up our cookbook, Plant-Based Wellness Cookbook. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.